This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. All right, 5 p.m., you guys doing good tonight? You ready to go? Hey, man, I'm so excited. I'm glad that you're here. I've been fired up all day. It's just kind of one of those days. I think whenever we talk about, you know, relationships and sex and dating, I just get fired up about it. So anyway, you're going to have to bear with me today. If you are a guest here, uh, we're in this series called Swipe Right, with the emphasis being on the right. Like the goal of this series is for you and I to really kind of uh, dive into what is God's way with relationships, specifically in attraction and dating, and yes, even sex. So that's the entire goal of this series, and we're studying this book called Song of Solomon. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Turn to Song of Solomon. Maybe your version says the Song of Songs, which is ac- uh, a better translation. It's more accurate. Uh, out of the 1,005 songs that Solomon wrote, he says this is his best one, and I would have to agree. It's awesome. All right, it's 900, uh, it was written in 900 BC, over 3,000 years old, and for it being so old, it is it's spicy, it's hot, it's relevant. And uh, last week, if you were here, we dived in, dove in, dive in, dive in, whatever, it doesn't even matter. We, we started this series and talking about the order of attraction, like what comes first, and that really is a fundamental teaching to this study, so I would encourage you if you weren't here to go back and listen to it, but we said the first thing we need to be attracted to is, is spiritual attraction. We need to be attractive spiritually, and then we talked about uh, having friendual attract, and we made up a word if you were here, friendual, and then physical is the last part. Now, next week, we are talking about physical, all right? Next week is going to all be about sex. Sex was God's idea. Sex wasn't just created for us for procreation, and that's it. I do believe he gave it to us as a gift to have pleasure with, and it's, it's fun. I'm just saying, it's a lot of fun. And so we're going to talk about it. The world has perverted it, all right? God didn't pervert it. God never intended it for be that way. So we're going to talk about what does godly sex look like. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, But today, today is going to be tough. Today is going to be very counter-cultural to what you've experienced growing up, to what I even kind of the way I did this growing up. And so um, I'm asking that you would receive this with an open heart. I'm asking that you would receive this with an open mind tonight because I believe what the world is producing is proof enough that the world's way isn't working when it comes to dating and relationships. Like, you know, we have, we have teenagers, but by the time they're 19 years old, 70% of teens are having intercourse by the time they're 19. Like we see the divorce rate just skyrocketing, 40 to 50% you know, of marriages ending in divorce. In fact, the numbers decreased a little bit because people aren't even getting married. They're just shacking up together. We see failed relationships, failed marriages. The way the world is approaching this is not working. So I submit to you that the majority of the reason for the results that we see 
have to do with this, this method of, of dating and relationships. Now, you're going to look at me maybe at the end of this, and you're going to be like, Colby, you're a relic, bro. That's old school. That's not the way the world works anymore. And I hear you. I'm not that old. I'm 42 or 43. I forget how old I am. I'm one of those. I'm not that old. I just happen to believe that God has, has more to say about this than Jay-Z or than Drake, all right? That his way is better than what the world's way is telling you. Now, um, let me just kind of kick this thing off uh, tonight because what's interesting today is with all the online dating you know, that's going on, that you can meet people in ways that, that you weren't able to before. And I used to make fun you know, when I'd hear you know, of couples like, oh, we met online. But now it's like, it's kind of normal. And many of you in this room, maybe you're even in a relationship, maybe you even married someone that you met online. So I'm not gonna make fun of you um, a lot for that tonight. But let me just start out, actually I'm not gonna make fun of you at all, by saying this. A lot of, if you're in that arena, of online dating and you're out there and eHarmony or you know Tinder, if that's even a dating app, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it that, um, but you're, you're out there, you need to know that, that all those personal profiles that people post are not 100% accurate. They lie, all right? So if you're doing that right now, tonight this is going to help you out. I'm gonna give you the code to decipher some of those online dating profiles, all right? This is gonna serve you well. If a woman says in her online ad that I'm 40-ish, what she means is she's 49 and a half. <laughs> it's going to help somebody out tonight. If a guy says I'm 40-ish, what he means is he's 52 and he's looking for a 25-year-old you know, girl. He's creepy. You need to stay away from that dude. If a guy in his profile says I'm huggable, what he means is he's carrying around a few extra pounds, right? And then he's probably got more body hair than Sasquatch. That's what he means, all right? So ladies, I'm just trying to help you out with that. If a woman says in her online profile, I'm romantic, what she's telling you guys is she probably looks better by candlelight. <laughs> just calling it like I see it, all right? I'm just, just throwing that out there. Ladies... If a guy says, I'm laid back, you know, and I'm a, I'm a family guy, I'm close to my family, what he means is I live in my basement, you know, I live in my mom's basement, and I don't have a job. That's what he means to say, all right? And he's hoping that you can support him financially, so I'd watch out for that guy. If a woman says, guys, I'm bubbly and I'm fun, that probably means she never shuts up, so I'd watch out for her. One more, if a guy says, I'm average looking, that means, ladies, he fell from the ugly tree and hit every branch <laughs> on the way down, okay? Now, I pulled those off a line because we gotta start this thing out with some humor because honestly, that's about all you're gonna get tonight. The rest of this, honestly, I'm, I'm asking you to, to have an open mind, an open heart. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says this right here. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, Following the world's way is going to get you worldly results. If you want to go that route, that's what happens. But instead, let God transform you into a new person by, by what? By church attendance? By singing some songs? By coming once a week? You know, or just by, by praying? No, all that stuff is important, but that's not what it says. It says, when you change the way you think. By the renewing of your, your mind, some versions say. So I'm going to offer you tonight some godly thinking 
about dating. Some godly thinking about dating. Now, this is dating, the whole dating thing is a relatively new concept. It hasn't been around that long. Maybe for many of you it feels like it has been, but it didn't, doesn't have the, by 1920, it's kind of taken the form that it has today. But before that, it was a different method, uh, a different kind of approach to it. And the current dating format has, again, left a wake of frustration and failed relationships. And my personal belief, it's also left a lot of immature guys. Now, guys, I don't want you to get offended by this. But there's been this explosion of like 27-year-olds, honestly, that do live at home, that live in the basement, that don't have a job, that play video games all day long, that are immature in their relationships. So we have a lot of young, you know, wonderful ladies with not a lot of suitable options. That's one of the things that's happened in this approach. I think another thing has been that uh, we've enabled teens, teens to go off and pursue someone without any kind of adult supervision. Like in this, you know, go ahead and do what you want, you know, when you want, you know, it's kind of date around from guy to guy to guy to girl to girl to girl, right? And parents, you know this, right? If you ever try to get involved with your teen, they're like, no, this is my life. Don't tell me who to love. Don't tell me who to date. Mom, you know, I'll let you know when you need to know. Dad, I'll let you know who it is when you need to know. And so we've allowed them to kind of just date whoever they want, whenever they want. And one of the major uh, characteristics of this current model that's very destructive, I think, is that is that format of dating with our teens. And then a lot of you, young ladies, you have this pressure to find someone and get married. Because what happens is, inevitably, right, your friend runs in and she's like, oh, 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 look, look, look. He went to Jared, right? And you're all like freaking out, ah. And you're like, I didn't even know you were dating anyone. And now you're engaged. And then you go to the wedding, and who's there? Aunt Josephine's there. And Aunt Josephine is like, you're prettier than she is. You should be getting married, not her. Don't worry, honey, you're next, right? And there's all this pressure, you single ladies, to, to get married, the whole biological clock's ticking, all that kind of stuff, and what happens is many end up compromising. And hey, by the way, a good comeback to Aunt Josephine is at the next funeral that you see her at. <laughs> you say, hey, Aunt Josephine, don't worry, you're next, you're next, it's gonna be all right, right? No, bad pastor, don't say that, don't tell her that. But I'm going to give you one, one big idea today, one thought. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This was also written by uh, King Solomon, who wrote the book that we're studying. And he says this, there's a time for everything. In other words, there's, there's a time that you should do things. There's a time that, that you shouldn't do things. There's a time for everything and seasons for every activity under heaven. So there are times and there are seasons when things are appropriate. And then there are times and there are seasons when things maybe aren't so Appropriate, And what I'm suggesting is that the, the current structure of dating for many is the right feeling but the wrong season. It's the wrong season. We're not ready yet for that. And I'm not saying you don't have genuine feelings because be a parent, right? Try to tell your teenager you don't have genu genuine feelings for that person. Oh, I love him. You don't love him. You think you love him. No, I love him. You know, he's awesome. No, it doesn't work. So it's, it's the right feeling but it's the wrong season. And what's interesting about this is that we understand this in society in other, other areas of our lives. We understand this as parents. We get this right in academics, this whole idea of the, the right you know, season uh, where we're going we're gonna to make it really tough on our kids. Like you're going to school no matter what. Like we get that. We send them to school. That's what we do. 
Like, get on the bus. You know, I got, uh, my oldest is in sixth grade, right? But I got some younger ones too. And sometimes they'll give me that push. Like, oh, I don't want to go to school today. I want to go to school. You better get your rear on that bus, right? Like you're going to school. Because we understand during this season, man, how important it is to, like, to discipline, to encourage them to go to school, to get on the bus, to do their homework. Now, my kids might call it child abuse or torture, me making them go to school. But we understand that in this season that we're going to be a little tougher on them. And then it might even be a fight, you know, and a struggle getting them to go to college. But we just know, hey, hey, you're going to go. You're going to do this right. Because if you do it right, you're going to reap the benefits of 60 years of working in a job and in a, you know, something that you love to do that you were called to do. So we understand this academically, this importance of seasons. We also understand it in athletics, physically. Some of you that are coaches, baseball coaches, like you don't just let these little kids throw curveballs like right away, you know, when they're young. Like you wait for that arm to develop or, or more importantly, the pitch count. You don't let them throw 100 pitches, right? Why do we do that? Because we understand the damage that can cause at that age. So knowing that, we don't allow them to throw as many pitches as they want, to do the things that they want. So we get this idea that there are times and seasons for certain activities, for some growth and development because we understand that, that if you engage in this activity too soon, it could be dangerous. Or we understand in education the importance of, of discipline and focus that this will help in your future. But there's an area where by and large we don't adopt this principle. You know what it is? Dating. It's socially. In fact, I would say we get this completely backwards. Because many times, you know, we'll tell our kids, hey, just go ahead, date whoever you want, get involved with whoever you want, you know, just kind of date around, you know, have a bunch of relationships, have a bunch of boyfriends or girlfriends, as many as you want, because one day, right, you're going to be tied down. So live it up now because it's hell later on. That's essentially what we are teaching them. So we're perpetuating this, this philosophy, you know, date him and him and him and her and her and her only for them to get used over and over and over again. And you understand this, those of you that play sports. In life, you play like you practice. You play just like you practice. So no wonder divorce rate is sky high. Why? Because we're simply playing like we've been practicing. So if you're in this dating season of, oh, I like you, I like you, have your way with me, I don't like you anymore, next. I like you, I like you, have your way with me, I don't like you anymore, next. I like you, I like you, have your way with me, I don't like you anymore, next. What are we practicing? We're practicing that as soon as I'm done with you, you're disposable. You're disposable. And then, you know, here's what we do. We scratch our head and we wonder why there's no commitment. We wonder why, you know, there are marriages that are failing all over the place we have been practicing and playing just like we're, we're practicing. Right feeling, right feeling for many, but it's the wrong season. It's messed up. Now, again, at the end of this, there are many of you, you're not going to like me. But come back next week. We're going to talk about sex. You're going to like me again. All right, I promise you. It'll be fun again. But I'm just trying to figure this out, too. Let's be honest. I'm trying to do the best I can to navigate what it is I believe God would say, God's heart on this whole dating scene, dating scenario. I want to do it God's way with my children. Now, before 
Many of you might feel condemned by this. And you'd say, Colby, well, I already messed up. We didn't do it that way. You know, you know it's, it's too late for me. That's a lie of the devil, okay? Like I said, th- throughout this whole series, in Jesus, all things are made new. So the goal is not to focus on the past. The goal is to, to look to the future, right, from this day forward. Like, like we can be different. We can make better decisions. If God speaks to your heart and convicts you, man, from this day forward, let's do better. And parents, parents, I don't want you to tune this out because those of you saying, oh, we're going to talk about dating and I don't need to know about that. Listen, no, no, no. I need your help with this. I need your help with this. Grandparents, you got a part to play in this. Aunts, uncles, Aunt Josephine, if you're here, you got a part to play, right, in this. So don't, don't tune this out. And I want to show you these seasons that this couple went through, that everyone goes through this first one. Let's look at it in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Uh, this is the girl speaking. We know there are three different people talking in this, in this book. You got the girl, you got the guy, and then you got this chorus of friends talking. Well, this is the girl, right? And she's all excited. She goes, listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. What's she doing? She's like, he's awesome, He's amazing. He's like Superman. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? He's a stud muffin. I love him to death. He's, he's all mine. He's all mine. And then she says, there he is, standing behind the wall, gazing through the windows. Now, this wasn't like a creepy, pervy kind of gazing through the window thing. But she's saying she's peering through the lattice. My lover spoke to me and said, and now it's his turn. And he says, arise, my darling." My beautiful one, come away with me. Like, what's going on here? These guys are in love, aren't they? They are madly, they are blindly in love. And this happens to everyone. This is the first season, write it down. It's the season of infatuation. Where they're perfect, where she's perfect, where he's perfect. It's, mom, I found Mr. Wright. Dad, you know, I found Mrs. Wright. I'm so excited. Hey, all the married people, all right? If you're with me, let's amen this thing. She ain't perfect. Amen? amen. Guys, amen? Ladies, he ain't perfect. Amen. I think I just started a fight. <laughs> They're not perfect, but no one is, right? No one is. But the danger in the season of infatuation that can last anywhere between one month and 18 months is that you think they are. Like you, you think they are, but none of us are. In fact, three chapters later, these guys are going at it and they're learning how to deal, how to deal through, through fighting. He puts his fist through a wall. They're in an argument. I mean, argument and they're just, they gotta figure all that out. So here's what we learn in the season of infatuation. This is what it teaches us. Because when you think he's perfect and, and you're not and she thinks you're perfect and you're not, here's what you learn. You can't trust you. During this season, you can't trust you. Everyone says love is blind, right? It's blind. Because you think he's perfect, but he's not. We do a, a six-week premarital class. Here, anybody that wants to get married at Elevate Church, they got to go through this, this class. And I used to do them all, and now we have a couple that, that runs through this class with all these bright-eyed, you know, lovesick, you know, couples that are excited about getting married, and that's great. But when I did it, my goal was 
not to like get them together and let's talk about all the things that they liked about each other. That's easy. Anyone can do that. My goal when I got them together was to find the things that they would disagree about, the things that they would argue about, and then I kind of poke on those a little bit, right? Because I was trying to break them up. Honestly, just being real, I was trying to break them up. I'd get them in there, oh, you don't like that about her? Let's talk about that a little more. Let's talk about that. You know, you don't like that about him? Well, he has these expectations, you know, going into marriage and what that looks like, and they start bickering, and ah, what do you mean you like this? Ah, and I'd be like, all right, stop, stop, stop. You see that right there? Like, that's what you're gonna marry. Can you live with that, right? Because they're not perfect. No one is perfect. But love, love isn't about finding a perfect person. It's about seeing an imperfect person perfectly through the eyes of God. That's what love is. That's why, listen to me, you can't trust this season of infatuation. You can't trust you during this season. And I heard a guy say, well, during this season, you need to limit three things. You need to limit your, your talk, your time, and your touch. In this season of infatuation, in this season, parents with your teens or anybody dating, young people, during this season, limit your time, your talk, and your touch. Let's talk about time. You need to limit that time that you spend with that person and the time you spend with them. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Because in this season where you think she's perfect, where you think he's perfect, teens, like the worst thing that you can do is go off by yourself. Is the worst thing that you can do. Because you think they're perfect. You think nobody's ever loved like this before. Like Nicholas Sparks has no idea of this kind of love, right? Like he should be writing about us. You know, that's how deeply, madly we are in love. But the worst thing you can do when you think they're perfect is to go off alone. Now, we're not here in the whole dating thing in my house yet, but we're going to get there. Like my, my sixth grader, Wade, like one day he's going to come to me and say, Dad, hey, Dad, I want to go out on a date with this girl. And I'll be like, all right, fine. Where do you think you're going to go on this date? Oh, we'll go to the movies. You know, I don't know where, where people go anymore. We'll go to the movies. No, you're not. You're coming to my house. You're going to bring her over here. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to hang out. I'm going to get to know this girl. In fact, I'd rather you go over to her house and have dinner with her parents, get to know her family, get to know their values, get to know what they're about, right? Because I, if I'm gonna potentially have to spend Thanksgivings with this person, you know, for however long, I wanna make sure they're okay. And I get that that's way down in the future, but I'm just gonna set the bar now. Hey, we're not gonna practice marriage before marriage. We're not gonna get alone with them. You're gonna protect yourself. Limit your time. Then limit your talk. All these teens running around, you know, just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. No, 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 we're not going to do any of that. Like none of this I love you stuff too soon. And some of you adults, you, you understand this because you still feel like that very first person you said I love you to. You still think about them. You still think about him. You still think about her, you know, that that was your very first love. And that's, that's dangerous. And again, that's a wonderful feeling, but the wrong season. So you need to limit that kind of, of talk. And then, of course, limit your touch. I mean, that's just an obvious one, right? Because she's going to come over looking good, smelling good, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're no dummies. But you need to limit that. I'm telling my boys, you know, what, what bait to go after, as we talked about last week. You know, you're going to go after someone who loves Jesus first. Someone who has values 
and virtue. And so everybody that's in the season, that you're in love right now, listen, you better not trust you. You better not trust you. Limit your time, your talk, and your touch. Let's keep reading. Chapter 11 says this. See, the winter is past. Underline that, winter. Underline that. Because I want you to take note of the fact that they spent a winter season together. You guys know what happens in winter? Besides it being 70 degrees one day and then snow the next day in Erie? What is that, by the way, right? Oh my gosh, this is crazy. I loved it, though. It's just kind of a taste of what's coming. I loved it. But you know what happens in the winter? There's, there's a lot of growth that takes place. You don't see it. It's not a lot of green growth. It's not that kind of stuff. It's not leaves budding on trees. But the roots become stronger. And she's saying that we went through this season where there was this growth, this winter where our roots became stronger together. Every fall, some guy from Team Turf or someplace shows up at my house, you know, knocking on the door and wants to put down fertilizer on my lawn, right? And he wants to put down winterizer. And it's not to focus on making the grass greener, it's to focus on making the roots stronger. And she's saying there's this season that we had to go through where the wind would come, but we had strong roots. Where the rains would come, but we had strong roots as it moves into to spring. Look at it. Uh, in this, this season, this first season, the next uh, first step of the season where we need to experience this winter, like we're not focused on, on finding the right person, but becoming the right person. She says the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. So she's saying we're moving from this winter season to this spring season, this winter where we built the relationship. And she says in verse 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding place, why was he hiding? We're going to talk about that in a second. What is that hiding place in the cleft of the rock? On the mountainside, and she's going, winter's over, so now I want to see you, I want to see you. I want to see what's, what's happened, so show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Watch that. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely, right? So no longer is he this, this stud, this stag that's hopping and bounding from hill to hill to hill. Oh, he's awesome. He's amazing. She's focusing on other characteristics, other character qualities. Your voice is sweet. I miss, I miss seeing you. They went through this, this season of winter together. Because they understood this season that most people eliminate and write it down. It's the season of preparation. It's the season where, where building happens. Where you're being prepared for what's next. And this couple realized that there's a time and a season not to experience everything. Not to just run off and sleep with everything and do everything and touch everything. No, no, no. That's garbage. That's garbage. There's a season where we are preparing ourselves where we recognize this is the most important time in our lives. And those of you that are single, I would say this is the most important time in your lives when you're preparing yourself to become the person that you're looking for is looking for. In fact, there's two important decisions in your life. One is what do you do with Jesus? Everybody has to make that decision. What am I gonna do with this guy? And the other one is who am I gonna spend the rest of my life with? So are you preparing for that? Now, how they would prepare is that the dad would go to the groom, and I love this, uh, this teaching. He says, okay, son, before you get married, you gotta go out and you gotta build a hopa. Everyone say hopa, hopa. 
I don't know if that's how you say it. I just made you say something wrong probably, but that's all right. Some of you might know how to say it. But a hopa was his first house. It was their first dwelling place together, right? He and his new bride. And so the father would supervise what he was building, supervise you know, him, him preparing this house. And if the groom was asked this question, hey, when are you going to get married? This is what he would say. He would respond by saying, only my father knows. Only my father knows when I'm ready. Only my father knows when I've been prepared. Only my father knows when this is built enough. And then one day he would go to his, his dad and his dad would say, all right, son, you're ready. And only then could he get married. And that's what he was doing in the cleft of the rock, in the hiding place. He was building, he was preparing in the season of preparation. And the bride-to-be during this, this season would be closely guarded by her mother. And also by her friends, by the way. In fact, they would come around her to make sure this couple never did anything that was inappropriate. Their job was to protect these two. And this is where we get the tradition of of bridesmaids and groomsmen. Did you know that? Like, we've lost this idea of what it means to be a bridesmaid and a groomsman. We think that you just come to a wedding and you got a bunch of guys standing here and they're in tuxes, you got a bunch of girls, you know, in dresses and it's just all nice and sweet and looks pretty and all that. No, your job as a bridesmaid or a groomsman was to be fighting for your friends, to be protecting them, to be guarding over them, to be standing watch over them. So when, 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 when you wanted to go out as a couple by yourself, they're like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Like you're coming with us. Or when you'd say, yeah, me and so-and-so, we're gonna go on a weekend alone by ourselves. No, 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 what is that? No way. Like, you need to come be with us. Let's get together. We're not gonna let you do that, right? We're not gonna let you practice being married before you're married. Forget that. And instead of going home from your dates, guys, and comparing notes with your, with your buddies, you know, like, like you do in the locker rooms about what happened. And instead of ladies, you know, going home and picking up the phone and, you know, calling your friend, oh, did he sleep with you? Did he sleep with you? That's not what they did. The bridesmaids and the groomsmen, their best friends, they stood beside them and they guarded their purity. They guarded their values. They protected them. Say, so you're my friend. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare go that far. Don't do it. So that one day, when you actually do stand beside them on that wedding day where they make, you know, a promise before God and before their families, you've actually fulfilled your duty as a bridesmaid or a groomsman. Like, we've missed that. We've, we've lost that entire idea of what it means to be friends that protect each other. And I know, I know. You might not like me at the end of this teaching. I get it. My name's Colby. I really am your friend, all right? I I really want to be your friend. But we've missed this. We've missed it. In this season of preparation, there are two things that, that you need to jot down. One is that they had extremely high standards. And I maintain that we have the lowest possible standards in this day and age for that age group of 13 to 22 year olds. We just let them go off and do whatever they want, whenever they want, date whoever you want. In fact, in fact, 90% of kids that go to college and are entering into college their freshman year, they just get drunk and they get wasted on the weekends all the time. 
And we chalk it up, listen to me, as some sort of rite of passage. Oh, that's just what they do in college. They just get drunk and they sleep around. No, that's stupid. It's stupid. And it's setting them up for failure. We're practicing the way that we're playing, right? And we're called to this higher standard. And dads, dads out there, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be ugly, but some of you, you would make it more difficult for a guy to drive your car than to take your daughter out on a date. You would. You would, because if a guy came to you and wants to take out your car, you'd be like, all right, come here, come here, come here, boy, come here. Like, where are you going? How fast are you going to drive? What time are you coming home? Right? And don't you dare get a scratch on it, and you better bring this thing back, you know, full. Don't bring this thing back empty. Hey, dads, with all due respect, that's the same questions that you should be asking any guy that wants to take out your daughters on a date. Hey, where are you going? When are you coming back? How fast are you gonna drive, right? And you better not get a scratch on this thing. I'm gonna snap my foot off and you can finish that. <laughs> Dads, I'm serious. We're called to higher standards. You know what, I've gone to Evans Skateland, is it still Evans Skateland or Prescott Skateland, whatever it is, and there's, there's kids that will go out there after school, like third, fourth grade, and mommy will pick up little Susie from Evans Skateland and get her in the car and be like, hey Susie, Susie, was Tommy there? You know, she's a little fourth grader. Oh, did he try to kiss you? Did he hold your hand? Because the mom wants to be her best friend or live vicariously through her, I don't know what it is, but it's like, stop it. Like we have a higher standard that we need to live to. And the second part of the season of preparation were, was that friends and family, they were involved. They were involved. And you might say, Colby, well, I don't have a good family. Like, they don't care about my virtue. They don't care about my, my values. Yes, you do. You have a church family. And that's why even right now after the service, we have groups out in the lobby. We, you need to get connected. You better not do life alone. You can't do life alone, especially in the season of infatuation where you think he's perfect and you think she's perfect. No, no, you need someone to speak into your life, someone who first loves Jesus, right, and then loves you. They love Jesus and love you. You need those people surrounding you, weighing in on that relationship. It's critically important that you have that because if you want godly results in, this, in your relationships, you need to have godly standards, and, and listen to me, I don't, I, don't mind, I don't mind helping you walk through the brokenness and helping to pick up, pick up the broken pieces after something's happened or failed or, or fallen apart, but that's not really my heart, to always treat the consequences of that. I'd rather set you up now to protect you, right, to guard you. And even if you failed in the past, again, from this day on, from this day forward, man, let's just, let's do better. Let's experience God's best. And then Solomon speaks up, and again, he doesn't do a whole lot of talking, right? But I love the fact that he initiates this right here in verse 15. He says, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Vineyard was, was a metaphor for their bodies, and they're saying the foxes would come in before the, the grapes were ripe, before the fruit was ripe, and they would snatch them off the tree. They would steal it. They would ruin it. He's saying, don't let that happen. Like, in other words, basically, he's saying, don't lose your virtue. 
Don't sacrifice your virtue. Don't compromise your virtue. Let's not let these, these guys come in here and ruin your purity. And again, I love that Solomon initiates this. Guys, that's why the onus is on you. I know you're, both parties are supposed to have high standards and high values, but I'm telling you what, guys, I'm putting it on you. You should be developing godly character. You are the spiritual leader, the head of the house. And every woman's looking for that, for you to step up and say, no, 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 I'm initiating this value of purity, that we're not going there. In fact, we're raising up a generation here at Elevate Church of Godly Men. This same stuff that we're talking about, we're doing it with your students on Wednesday nights. If you thought that youth group here at Elevate was a bunch of kids running around eating sugar cookies and you know balloon races and stuff like that, that's the wrong church, all right? That's not who we are. Like we're pouring into them because we have students that wanna step up and be different. They wanna live different because they see the world's way and they're like, it's not working. So the last season I'm begging you to go after, if you wanna write it down, is the season of purity. The season of purity. It's where we say we're gonna hold ourselves to a higher standard. And honestly, we just need to be real about this. You know, statistics say that 60% of the guys in this room have struggled with some sort of internet pornography. That the temptation's out there, but a lot of times we'll just, we'll just pretend like it doesn't exist. Like we'll ignore it, pretend like it's not there. Well, I refuse to be an ignore and pretend kind of church. Like guys, if this is you, man, and you struggle with this, get some people around you. Get some people around you. Like, let's, let's get guardrails. Let's put boundaries in place. Get on, get on triplexchurch.com and, and sign up for some of that X3 watch, you know, uh, software that every time, you know, you go to a site you shouldn't, it emails one of your friends and tells you so you can talk about this. Man, let's just live to a higher standard. And I don't care if you just try and over and over and you fail. I don't want you to fail. But at least you're trying. I care if you try at all, and it's just, this is the world that we live in. So we gotta protect ourselves and get into the season of purity because on the other side of it, it's amazing. We're gonna talk about that next week. On the other side of it's amazing. God wants to, to bless you. And I pray that you would take this teaching and that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, that some of you would, would maybe just think about, just even perhaps consider like what the model is, is of dating that you're gonna have in your life, in your family's life, in your, your kid's life, how you're gonna raise them up, what principles are you gonna set for them? And the last verse I wanna close with is this, this little verse that happens four times over and over in this book. In fact, if God's word repeats itself twice, it's important. This thing happens four times, so it's gotta be important. Same verse that we closed with last week. Just repeat, it says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles, and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it's the right time or season. Do not arouse or awaken love until it's desires, until it's so desires, until, you know, it might be the right feeling, right, but it's the wrong season. Do not arouse or awaken love. Stop, stop playing like you've been practicing. Cut that out. Don't play marriage before you're married. Like, cut it out. Let's get this right, right now. Would you bow your head with me tonight? 
And I would just ask that you just take an opportunity for God to speak to your heart through these different seasons, whether you're in the season of, of infatuation and maybe you got blind spots and you don't see it. You need to have some friends around you. Maybe just pray about that right now, that God would send people into your life that would help you see those red flags in that relationship. Or maybe for many of you, it's the season of preparation. Are you really becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? Do you have godly standards? Do you have godly values? And if you're in a relationship right now, this is the time to build strong roots, to dig down deep so that later on when stuff happens, because it will happen, the winds will come, the rains will come, the snow will come, but that relationship remains strong because you've grounded it, you've rooted it in Christ together. So man, just, just ask God to strengthen those roots. Maybe it's a season of purity. And there's some things going on in your relationship right now. You just need to end. You need to cut off and say no more. That from this day forward, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to pursue godliness and holiness. And we just want to not live in the past and what was. Because no one can change that here tonight. But to move forward what God wants us to do. And again, for those of you, you know, there's no condemnation for any mistakes that you've made. Anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You get a fresh start. And maybe tonight you just need a fresh start. You need a relationship reset. You've been doing this the wrong way. And tonight God wants to give you a fresh start in that. Or maybe You've been far from God and you don't even have a relationship with him. But tonight can begin something new in your life where you confess your sins and understand that Jesus died for you. And the moment you realize that, he comes in and makes you new and gives you that fresh start. Maybe that's what you need tonight. Maybe that's why you're here. Whether you're committing your life to Christ or recommitting it. And you say, Colby, when you pray that prayer to to get that fresh start, to start over, to surrender it all to Jesus. I'm gonna pray that with you, Colby, count me in on that. Would you raise your hand? I just wanna know who's praying with me tonight. Would you raise your hand just wherever you are in this room? That's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome. God bless you, God bless you, people all over this room. Say, I'm gonna either recommit this or I'm just gonna start right here, right now. You can pray this in your heart or pray it out loud. Jesus, tonight, I surrender my life to you. I'm sorry for doing this my own way. Forgive me of my sins, my shortcomings, but thank you so, so much for dying for me and making a way for me. So tonight I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, because you conquered sin and death, I know that I can conquer this in my life with your help. So Jesus, I choose to follow you from here on out in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Church, celebrate big with those around you. Come on. They made a decision to commit their lives to Jesus tonight. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.